This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, everyone, and welcome to AOA. Thanks for making us a part of your day as this new week gets started. Taking a quick look at the markets here to start the week, we're seeing corn and soybeans under some pressure. Wheat up a little bit. Garrett Toy of Ag Trader Talk will join me at the end of the show to run through these markets and maybe get a little bit of a taste of what might be to come. We'll also be talking with John Baranek of DTN Weather. I'm sure a lot of what's moving these markets is what's happening down in South America and Brazil and Argentina with the drought he'll be on to update us here in segment two segment three we're going to talk to rob fox he's an executive director at cobank they just released their quarterly report on the ag industry as a whole and he'll stop by to share us share with us some of their insights but first we've got to talk about washington dc joining me for an update from way out east is jackie fatka farm policy director excuse me farm progress director of farm policy jackie thanks for taking the time to join us Great to be with you here this morning, Mike. You know, I'd like to start by looking over at the Supreme Court, Jackie. We've been waiting this month for their decision on several cases, whether or not they'll hear the Clean Water Act or Proposition 12. That got punted two weeks ago to Friday. Did the Supreme Court make a ruling? Are they going to hear either of those two cases? Do we know? You know, not yet. So they must have decided to hold it. I'm still kind of checking with my sources to see what the update is on that, but I'll be sure to we'll, we'll be sure to talk about that when we do finally get that on especially the prop 12 uh, proposition 12 which was requiring the space requirements for sows and all pork that would be sold in the state of California so a lot of folks interested on how that's going to come through the uh, the E15 ruling of the Supreme Court we did get a decision on that and unfortunately for ag it was not the decision we wanted they said that epa did not have the authority to do what they did in allowing year-round e15 use so they will have to go back to the legislative side of things to see if they can create a law that does allow what epa was trying to do and there are some bills proposed that would do that but it'll take some time and, and obviously a lot of support to get that across the finish line it will. And Jackie, you know, it seems like we talk about this a lot when ethanol comes up, but the the overall tenor of this administration, it isn't terribly friendly to ethanol necessarily. So I, I we're off to watch and see what happens with that legislation, I suppose. You know, and, and I would, uh, you know, I, I would challenge that maybe the Trump administration wasn't all that friendly with ethanol. I think we've had um, both sides, you know, in the recent years, it's it's hard to walk the line of what the courts require, what the oil industry wants, what the biofuel industry wants, and what legislators originally proposed within the RFS that's been around for a while. And so, um, you know, interesting times, you know, this administration did deny 65 waiver requests that were kind of waiting for action. So that does preserve some of the demand, hopefully going forward of what you would require for mandating. Um, you know, this administration too is is working on where they would project things going forward. They did project for uh, 2022 and 2023 higher volume requirements. Uh, so it, it, it's kind of a mixed bag. Um, I think uh, in, in this E15 
what EPA actually, what the courts challenged was what the Trump administration had tried to do, which was allow year-round E15 use. And this administration did defend that uh, that same position in, in the courts as well. The courts just couldn't agree with that. Okay. All right. Well, thanks for the clarification, Jackie. I wanted to get an update from you on EPA. Uh, You mentioned that last week, several Republican senators testified in front of the EPA. Can can you bring us up to speed on what they were talking about? So it wasn't really, it it was not these rebel, the Republicans weren't testifying. It wasn't anything before, uh, before Congress or anything like that. It was just, you know, Republicans are hearing a lot from farmers who are saying, that they're concerned about some of the actions that EPA is taking on pesticide registrations and approvals. And so uh, a handful of of, of Midwest Republican senators asked for a a meet, right? They they really wanted to talk. And and today in the world that we live in, those talks are sometimes done over Zoom, but they had a Zoom meeting with uh, Administrator Regan from EPA and some of those EPA officials who were in charge of those pesticide registrations to just make known some of their concerns, um, which for those in agriculture, that's good. You know, this this is a, a good platform to make sure that they are making farmers' concerns known to the, the person at the top. EPA administrator is the one who is able to um, make sure that whatever is done, whether it's on dicamba or some of the, you know, atrazine, trizine, uh, even glyphosate, that the actions that are taken um, also take into consideration the impact that it would have on farmers and uses sound science. So good, a, a good talking point to make sure that that is known and not just kind of slipped under the rug. You know, that's why it's important for farmers to make known what they have concerns about to their legislators. So those legislators can go up the ladder to the administrator here in this case and make sure that they are made aware of some of those implications on the farm. Absolutely. They've got to hear from the folks on the farm with the boots on the ground. Jackie, as you look out over the remainder of this week, bringing, well, January almost to a close, are there any important ag policy or regulatory things on the docket in D.C. this week you're keeping an eye on? You know, um, House is out of session this week. So, you know, last week we had Secretary Vilsack, who was in front of the House Ag Committee for several hours on Thursday morning. We won't have any hearings this week, really. Um, but, you know, there's still some some talk that they're going to try to piece out the Build Back Better components, uh, both House Speaker Pelosi as well as House, uh, Senate Agriculture Committee Chairman Woman Debbie Stabenow have both said that that's still there. You know, as we reach the end of January, I think every week and month that that goes past, I think that's harder and harder to accomplish. But, you know, they're they're not giving up on that yet. Um, and as we approach February, I think we're going to turn a lot of our attention to that spending bill that is expiring here in the next couple of weeks and making sure that, that everything gets funded that needs to get funded. And then, and that spending bill, Jackie, that would be a continuing resolution we need to keep our eyes open for. Is that right? Yes. Yep. Yep. Definitely want to. That's That's probably the biggest ticket item. And so there's going to be, even though Congress is not in session really this week, a lot of staffers are going to be working on that. They're going to be working on language and um, figuring out how they're going to get that across the finish line. Jackie, I also read recently that the end of the comment period for WOTUS is February 7th. It, I hear from a lot of growers, you know, they're cramped for time. Is it worth sending in these comments to the EPA on a big item like WOTUS? Absolutely. Please, please, please send in your comments. Uh, I think 
the the EPA needs to know maybe even how the Trump rule was beneficial and how it benefited farmers of being able to stand on their property and know what was and wasn't excluded from federal regulation under the waters of the U.S. And uh, that comment period, I know there's been some requests to have that that comment period extended from February 7th as of now. Uh, there's been no official word that that's been extended. So get those comments in. It's only a few more weeks left. Fantastic. And folks, I will post a link to the place you can go on the EPA's website to make those comments. It will be posted on our Twitter feed at AOA underscore talk show. Jackie Fatka from Farm Progress, thanks for taking the time to talk to us today. Thank you. Have a great week. Thank you. And folks, stay tuned. John Baranek of DTN coming up next with the weather. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, where we take a close look at the benefits of cooperative ownership. Each week, we'll host a new guest and discuss how you can get the most from working with your local cooperative. And we'll learn why farmers and ranchers just like you choose cooperatives to help them persevere and prosper. Tune in each Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Recently on AOA, Josh Linville, the director of fertilizer from Stone X, is joining me. And Josh, urea prices down for the second week in a row. Is the peak behind us? We're uh, we're finally starting to kind of get ahead of this thing. It seems like we've killed enough demand. You know, we've got production back up and running here globally. But at the same point. Some of the stuff going on with Russia, you can certainly paint a picture that we've got another peak in front of us. I think we've got a heck of a roller coaster ahead of us. How should producers be handling purchases? I think you've got to keep having a conversation out there with your supplier. We've always been you know, focused on the, the pricing of it and supplies and things like that, but we've also got to remember, we're midway through January. We are not that far away from spring starting up. And as hard as it is for a lot of the farmers to pull the trigger on buying the product, that retailer's in the exact same boat. The more we can have the conversation with them, and you don't even have to pull the trigger, but at least give them a heads up of, hey, I need this much, I need that much for this time frame, that time frame. Give them a fighting chance for trying to get those supplies in place so that they're ready for you when you show up on the door. For the information important to rural America, join us on AOA. DTN and Progressive Farmer bring producers the best content in agriculture. Each day our editors post unique content to our website, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day business decisions. DTN and Progressive Farmer provide insights throughout the year to questions like, what is the outlook for corn yields in 2021? Will feed prices surge? What about land prices? And what's today's weather forecast for my farm? For more intelligence like this, visit DTNPF.com. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans, and if left untreated, can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice U.S. 
For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Keeping farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Boy, I was talking earlier on the show about the market moves, and we're seeing soybeans take a pretty big step back here to start the week. For the past several weeks, anytime we've seen a big move in the soybean market, we could almost trace it back to a big move in the forecast down in South America. We're going to talk weather right now. John Branick of DTN Weather is joining me, and John, we're going to do it a little differently today. We're going to start with South America. What's happened in Brazil over the weekend? It hasn't really been what's going on in Brazil. It's been more of what's going on in Argentina. Uh, over the past almost 10 days now, they've had quite a bit of rainfall down there in Argentina. A lot of areas have been getting uh, on the order of two to five inches, kind of widespread throughout these growing regions. There have been also some areas that have been getting more like five to seven inches. So the hot and dry weather that they had uh, earlier in the month has really been kind of wiped away. And uh, there's been a lot less concern about the uh, the overall crop situation down there in Argentina, at least. Brazil's been a little bit different, uh, especially central and northern Brazil have been much wetter uh, for almost the entire growing season. It's been kind of uh, kind of crazy. Southern Brazil hasn't enjoyed that kind of action uh, as of late, and the showers that have been going on in Argentina haven't really translated so much uh, that in those southern states of Brazil which actually account for about 30% of their total production. So those southern states are very important. Um, we're getting a little bit of the, the showers that are in Argentina to continue for the next couple of days before that all kind of shifts up into Brazil. And that includes those southern states of Brazil. We're expecting uh, some pretty good rainfall down there, but it's only going to last a couple of days. Uh, the drier conditions moving back into Argentina are going to spread into southern Brazil as well. And they're going to return to that La Nina pattern that they had been in um, basically from mid-November all the way into uh, what just transpired over the last, uh, let's say, week to 10 days or so. John, as we think about South America, four, five, seven inches of rain here in the past couple of days, particularly, as you mentioned, in Argentina and in that north-central region of Brazil, how great is the soil at retaining that moisture? I mean, does Brazil need to see rains every few days to keep this crop going through harvest, or can they retain it pretty well and get through the second crop season? Yeah, sometimes it's hard to imagine exactly where these areas are in location, in, uh, 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 base, uh, how far away they are from the equator, they're actually pretty close to the equator. So it's hot there just about every day. And this is, remember, this is their summer down there. So their normal temperatures are in the 90s. So um, rain does not, or soil moisture does not stick around too long as uh, these areas really need it for evapotranspiration purposes. With temperatures daily in the 90s, um, you know, that, that gets soaked up and used up pretty well and pretty quickly. So they're going to need several rounds of it. And that's why I think we're a little bit more concerned. You know, it's been really nice uh, for these areas to get that, that amount of rainfall. Um, but, you know, you, you can't just get seven inches of rain and hope it sustains you for the rest of the, the growing season, especially with a lot of these crops that have just been planted or their safrina, their second corn crop, uh, is uh, being planted right now in southern Brazil. So, and it's 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 nice. It'll it'll help uh, with germination, with early development, 
Um, but they're going to need more rainfall after that. They can't rely on what's uh, already happened, what's going to happen. Um, they're going to need more. Okay. Well, are they going to get more? John, we've talked a lot about La Nina. Last time we had you on a week ago, you mentioned that La Nina was starting to weaken. Is that trend still in place? Well, it's it's pretty stable right now. We're expecting it to weaken here through the rest of our winter uh, going into the spring, but it's going to be kind of a slow process. So uh, those drier conditions in Argentina, in southern Brazil, that are, are, are popping back up here later this week, uh, look like they're going to hold through at least the month of February. Um, for, for a lot of that crop that's down there, that's getting into their reproductive stages of growth. Uh, for some of that, it's not quite there yet. So we'll have to see, um, you know, can we get a, a, another period in there where, where we get, you know, a good inch or two of rain? Um, can we get uh, a couple more of those as we get closer to March and we get into some more reproductive stages of growth? Um, that's, a, that's a good question mark. And, you know, sometimes it's not about the amounts you get. Some of just about the timing. You can get, you know, a good half inch, inch, right at the right time. Even if you've been getting uh, poor uh, rainfall for, for weeks, it could, it could really help to sustain the crop there. Um, you know, it's going to end up probably being below normal rainfall for the season. But again, if you can get the timing just in the right spots, we've seen that before in Argentina and Brazil. You get it at the right time, it can really, it can really help out that crop. Absolutely. The right time matters so much, John. You know, I was up in South Dakota talking to the South Dakota corn growers this weekend and to hear stories about those guys in drought territory who caught that one rain and yields ended up being okay on their farm. Just drives that point home. Let's bring it back to America. John, taking a look at the weather across the country this week. We've got snow going on for some folks today. Where do you see or what do you see happening the rest of the week? Yeah, so over the weekend, we really got into a pretty good clipper pattern. We saw about two of them. Uh, this is the one that's going through the eastern Corn Belt right now is the third, and uh, it's got some pretty good uh, pretty good snowfall with it, you know, on the order of a few inches. Um, and the cold front to that is going to sank through the uh, plains as well, and we'll get some actually some precipitation down there in the southwestern plains, which has really been lacking. Um, you know, La Nina is really taking its, its grip on that, area of the country and we've seen just drought increase week after week after week. Uh, the showers we're going to get this week aren't going to be overly helpful, but at least it wouldn't uh, allow the, the drought to continue growing. Um, most of it is going to be less than a half inch of liquid equivalent, still about three to six inches of snow, and that'd be good um, for these areas, but you know, it's not going to be enough. We're going we're gonna to need to see a lot more rainfall to really reverse the drought conditions. Um, rest of the country, though, we do see another cold front moving through later this week, but we're going to see a pattern change starting up uh, beginning of February here. So over the weekend, uh, what we have been seeing is a nice ridge of high pressure across the eastern Pacific, nosing up into Alaska, and more troughiness and, and uh, little disturbances moving through uh, the rest of North America. That's been what's been giving us our clipper pattern. We're going to see that reverse here this weekend. We'll have that ridge kind of spread its way eastward uh, late this week and over the weekend, and then we'll get a trough developing out in uh, western North America there and uh, kind of that ridge hanging out across the east coast. So it will be quite a flip uh, from where we have been over the last week or so. And uh, if you can remember back to what we the conditions we had kind of in December, mid to late December, that's kind of the pattern we're going to be expecting here for the first couple of weeks of February. We had a lot of good cold uh, temperatures building in Western Canada and eventually kind of leaking down to the Northern Plains and 
and at times spreading throughout the rest of the Corn Belt and country, but for the most part keeping it locked up there in the northwest. That'll bring in the storm track, though, kind of a little bit further north. We'll get out of the clipper pattern. We may see some bigger storm systems move across the Corn Belt. Uh, whether or not that affects the, the southern Corn Belt is highly suspect. Usually those, uh, those areas um, kind of stay on the drier side uh, during that kind of pattern, kind of like we saw in December. Uh, so we'll we'll have to see, but the, the prospect out there in the Southern Plains isn't good. No, it's not good. And John, taking a look at that drought, I heard from a lot of growers this past weekend who were looking at the drought monitor from December 2011, particularly the southwestern part of that, and comparing it to the drought monitor right now going on in that southwest, uh, the southern plains area. It is making a comparison like that drought monitor to drought monitor fair at this time in the season, or can we still knock that drought in the southwest down a little bit? We can knock it down. There, there are things that can um, go on that benefit, even in this pattern. If we get a system to go just a little bit further south, or if we get that trough to dig in just a little bit deeper, it can spin up something that, that really um, improves uh, the moil- uh, soil moisture across the, south, the southern plains here late this winter and into the spring. So there are chances for that to go away. Now, I will say that if they were looking at 2011, uh, that was a La Nina year. Uh, we are in a La Nina year, and the drought monitor looks very similar. Uh, I wouldn't dr- draw direct comparisons to it, um, but that would be, you know, obviously something we're, we're definitely concerned about uh, for this season, especially in that region of the country. Well, in that region, and then going north, the southern plains, north through the Rocky Mountains, that fire risk has been huge. John, do you see that mitigating here in the short term? In the short term, um, well, not this week. Uh, next week, possibly. Um, and, you know, with the La Nina or the, 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 the pattern flip we've got, um, and, you know, typically La Nina, we, we get some pretty good precipitation there in the northern Rockies and Pacific Northwest. We've already seen that um, earlier this month. Uh, we had some pretty good increases in the snowpack up there. Uh, it looks like we probably will next week as well, so going into February. Um, it's all been helpful for reducing drought in that area of the country. We've seen a lot of reduction, actually, in there. Uh, but, you know, not so much in the plains. Um, it hasn't translated that far eastward. Uh, so, you know, we may or may not see some some uh, benefit in the short term here, especially next week. If we can get a couple of those uh, larger storm systems I was talking about to bring down some snow uh, into the northern plains, uh, that, that would All definitely right. help out. We'll keep an eye on it. John Brannick of DTN Weather. Thanks for joining us. And folks, we'll have more when we return. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Considering an online pharmacy? Explore BeSafeRx to find useful information and resources to help you purchase medicines safely online. A safe online pharmacy requires a doctor's prescription, has an address in the United States, has a licensed pharmacist, and is licensed by a state pharmacy board. It's best to stay away from online pharmacies that don't meet these criteria. Discover more helpful tips and resources at BeSafeRx. Go to FDA.gov slash BeSafeRx. Hey, wouldn't it be great if life came with a remote control? You know, you could hit pause when you needed to or hit rewind. Like that time you knocked down that wasp's nest. Uh Uh-oh. 
Well, life doesn't always give you time to change the outcome, but pre-diabetes does. With early diagnosis and a few healthy changes, you can stop pre-diabetes before it leads to type 2 diabetes. To learn your risk, take the one-minute test today at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Accorded soybeans are lower this morning in reaction to the rains in southern Brazil and Argentina and so far have ignored the fresh export business announced Monday morning. USDA said private exporters sold 5.9 million bushels of corn to unknown destinations for this marketing year and 4.85 million bushels of soybeans were sold to China with half for this marketing year, the other half for the 22-23 market year. Now, wheat markets continue to move higher as the Russia and Ukraine conflict continues to deepen while the threat of an invasion, along with the higher U.S. dollar, is causing crude oil to move lower. Crude oil right now down $2.13 a barrel at 83.01 here this hour. We also have Fed fear continuing to grow on Wall Street. Traders are fretting about how this week's Federal Reserve meeting might change the market landscape in the months ahead. Wall Street's fear index, the VIX, traded near 33 this morning. Right now, March corn, six and a quarter lower at 610. July corn down seven, 601 and a half. March soybeans down 22 and three quarters, 1391 and a half. July beans down 24 and a quarter, 1403. March bean meal down 280 a ton at 389.90. March bean oil down 124.6176. March Chicago wheat two and a quarter higher, 782 and a quarter. March Kansas City wheat up four and three quarters, 798. Spring wheat for March, that is up three quarters, 936 and three quarters. May spring wheat up a quarter penny, 931 and three quarters. Livestock under pressure right now. Cattle down due to a bearish cattle on feed report. February live cattle down 140, 136.52. April down 210 at 140 even. January feeder cattle down 47, 159.80. Lean hogs, February 122 lower, 84.97. April down 130, 93.65. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen. 54. So, basically, it's too late to start saving for retirement, right? Not right. Starting to save, even in your 50s, can really make a difference. Well, right now, saving seems hard to wrap my head around. Plus, with the way this year's been going... (laughs) Hey, listen. It's okay. You still got this. Just go to aceyourretirement.org. It's an online tool from AARP that can help you get your retirement savings on track no matter your age. It's free and only takes about three minutes. I like three minutes. Yeah. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll chat with Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. Just answer a few questions and you'll get a personalized plan and tips to help boost your retirement savings. Tips that are easy to understand and tailored to your lifestyle. I like that too. Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Just head to aceyourretirement.org and make your plan to start saving for retirement. Thanks. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Well, thanks for joining us today, ladies and gentlemen, for AOA. You know, one of the great things about agriculture, really, for those of us on the production side, is that this industry has a lot of reasons for really smart people 
to take a look at it and to assess what's going on. Well, a bunch of those smart people are located at CoBank, particularly in the Knowledge Exchange Division. They recently published a quarterly report taking a look at how the ag economy fared in the fourth quarter of 2021. To walk us through some of their findings is Rob Fox. He's the director of the CoBank Knowledge Exchange. And Rob, thanks for taking the time to talk to us today. Hey, Mike, it's good talking to you. Thanks for having having me on and appreciate those compliments. You know, we'll see how smart I am in a few months and we can evaluate that. (laughs) (laughs) That's always the name of the game. We do our best to get those numbers out there and then we wait and see what happens. But Rob, let's start with what you guys found in your quarterly report. It sounds like overall the, the health of the ag sector looks pretty good. Yeah, well, as most people probably know by now, but 2021 was was a really strong year across the board for most farming segments, particularly the grain guys. And, um, you know, the question is, uh, with all the supply chain woes and fertilizer prices, I think, you know, what what does that spell for 2022? And, you know, at least, you know, my economists and, and, and I have penciled it out. And I, and I think um, I think it's going to be modestly profitable for the most part. Um, uh, things look okay. You know, you don't, when, when you get on a radio sh- show, you, you, you want to say something bold and strong. But, you know, the way I look at it, things are going to be all right. You know, it's not going to be a fantastic year, but it's not going to be a terrible year by any stretch. And I'm pretty confident saying that because, you know, commodity prices are high across the board, and I struggle mightily to come up with some sort of scenario where uh, commodity prices fall by very much. And I can I can come up with a lot of scenarios where they could increase quite a bit. So I'm I'm bullish across the board on commodities. Well, that is probably good news to a lot of our listeners. Rob, I wanted to ask you specifically, you know, we talk on this show, we've got listeners across the Great Plains, across the Corn Belt. So we talk a lot about the coming acreage battle between corn and soy. In the quarterly report, however, you touched on three crops that are also going to be battling for acres. We don't talk about them much on the show, and that's cotton, rice, and sugar, uh, sugar beets and sugar cane. Can you tell us a little bit about what those sectors of the ag economy might be doing here as we get ready? to to prep for planting 2022 well the real star uh across across all commodities i think if you if you pencil out the margin it was probably cotton and in, in 2022 and it's been a long time coming 15 years or so since we kind of saw the world uh demand situation and, and prices prices where they uh where they were you know up well over a dollar dollar a pound so you know, cotton is going to force its way in there. I haven't penciled out exactly, but you could see cotton coming in with another million acres or so. Um, you know, there, there's only certain places that are, can grow it, and only certain people have the, the expertise and equipment. So you're not going to see massive acreage shift. Um, you know, as far as rice goes, that's actually the opposite end. It's, there's been a huge uh, huge global crops coming out of Asia, and it's been kind of the weak, weaker, one of the weaker uh, row crops, if you will. So I don't see much of a change in acreage there. And, you know, sugar, with our sugar program, uh, you're not going to see a huge acreage change. But again, it'll be a, a real solid year for, for sugar growers. And, 
you know, people talk about, oh, we need to cut back on sugar, people aren't eating as much sugar, and so forth. But if you look at the numbers actually provided by USDA, we're eating more sugar, uh, you know, than we have in years. It just uh, must be in, in different forms. So um, I'm, I'm bullish, bullish sugar and bullish cotton and uh, rice is a little bit of a, of a, a laggard at the moment, unfortunately. Okay, Rob, as you look out, you know, you mentioned inflation, this this big push, this switch from from being absolutely not at all concerned about inflation to now it is on the mind of almost every single farmer I talk to looking at the year ahead. What does that mean for interest rates? What, what do you guys at CoBank think the Fed is going to do as we go through 2022? Well, I think we're not too far off from the, from the uh, consensus and most people are thinking uh, from here, probably starting in March to the end of the year, probably another 75 basis points. My personal bias is I'm worried it could be a little bit more. They might do a full percentage point by the end of the year, depending on how things go. The Fed kind of sometimes is late to react, and then they kind of overreact when they finally do. So that that's a little bit of concern. You know, uh, you know the the 10-year the interest rate has increased by about half a percent in the past six weeks or so. So, you know, it, all said and done by the end of the year, you know, you're probably looking at uh, uh, one and a half percent higher rate than we, we, we saw uh, last year. But again, in the grand scheme of things, if you go, that's comparable to what we faced maybe seven, eight years ago uh, on the farm level, you know, farm, farm level spreads against the, uh, the uh, Fed benchmark continued over time to narrow and narrow. So, um, you know, I don't see it as a, as a real uh, driving factor in any sort of uh, farming business decisions too much. You know, it might kind of take some steam out of the, uh, the land uh, price appreciation, but, uh, uh, you know, I, I'm more worried about, about other things, input costs. I'm worried about geopolitical situations. You know what could happen with with China. Um, you know, I, I I don't think we're going to get into a major spat with China just because the the, uh, the stakes are so high for both sides. But you know, something like that is much much of a bigger issue than than if interest rates rise by you know even at the high end a, a couple of percent. Well, let's think about that China as we get through 2022. Rob, you know, we know they've got trouble in their property sector. We've heard lots of challenges coming out of China for the past year. Do you anticipate China being a strong buyer through this next year of, of any particular commodities coming out of the U.S.? Well, I think, as I mentioned, you know, their stakes are high on both sides. And China, as you say, they have a slowing economy, you know, wages are, are slowing. And the last thing they want to, they want to keep the consumers and the population uh, happy, right? So they're going to keep uh, food prices and, and keep the uh, spinner, spinning mills uh, uh, running at full steam to keep jobs up. So I, I see, you know, I don't see a major change in their buying habits, uh, which is good news. Um, you know, last year was just an amazing year. As far as Chinese imports go, they're you know by far our largest importer at the moment. Um, uh, so you know it, things may and, and you know the grain exports 
commitments and sales are a little bit down, but that's just because last year was just such an amazing year. So, you know, assuming nothing crazy happens, I, I'm, I'm going with the assumption we're going to have another strong, uh, strong year from China. Now, speaking of China, one of the biggest concerns I have is another one of these uh, black swan events sort of things with Omicron, right? So China has incredibly strict COVID procedures and they've essentially locked down the economy and um, uh, it's worked in a way, but it is very draconian and they might not be able to make it through. This Omicron is much more contagious. So my concern is that they are unable to reduce the spread or, or control the spread of Omicron, which they have to this point. But um, what will that do as far as uh, plants running, as far as docks going and ships moving? That could be a real nightmare depending on how the government uh, wants to handle Omicron. And remember, they don't, their vaccine is nowhere near as effective uh, as ours. So that's something to keep an eye on. Yeah, it is because, you know, you mentioned when China locks down, they do it in a big way. They lock down a city of 13 million required passes to get out of the house. So do you think that China would shut down their ports if Omicron were to break out in, in one of their port cities? Well, I think that's what let's go with that assumption, because that's what they've been doing anytime, you know, in the past couple of years, if there's been any sort of minor outbreak at a port. They have pretty much shut things down and, and uh, uh, you know, quarantined anybody who's been in, in contact with anyone. So, um, yeah, I, I, it would be a major shift if, if they didn't. You know, and the other thing is they might try for they'll definitely try to do it for a while. But, you know, at some point it would just get, you know, politically and economically impossible to shut everything uh, down kind of on a, a long term basis. So. Again, we're, we're kind of talking about uh, hope, hopefully things that don't happen because it would be a real, real nightmare. I mean, our, our supply chains are already pushed to the max. There's really no immediate relief in sight. And if you were to shut down uh, you know, ports in China, it would, it would be a, a, a real significant problem. And, and that's why that's kind of my, my number one kind of wild card thing to keep an eye on for 2022. All right. All eyes on China. Once again, Rob Fox, the director of CoBank's Knowledge Exchange Division. Thanks for taking the time to talk with us. Anytime, Mike. Really appreciate it. Have a great day. Thanks. You too. And folks, stick around. We'll be back. We'll be talking with Garrett Toy when we return. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength a champion of courage, an advocate for hope. You are not alone because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration, 
retinitis pigmentosa, Usher syndrome, and the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We, we win. We, 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 we are, are the, the foundation, foundation fighting, fighting blindness. blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org. I'll take dig a little, learn a lot for 30 bushels. Soft and crumbly. Tom. How does healthy soil feel to the touch? Correct. Dig a little for 40 bushels. Sweet and earthy. Tom. What does healthy soil smell like? Yes, go again. Dig a little for 50 bushels. Dark, porous, and alive. Tom. What does healthy soil look like? You win. Understanding the basics and benefits of healthy soil can make your farm a winner, too. Through lower input costs, better yields, and drought protection, which can lead to a healthier bottom line for your business. Contact your local Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how you can unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service and this radio station. Each and every day, DTN and Progressive Farmer editors are posting unique, original content to their website at DTNPF.com, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day business decisions. Their award-winning newsroom covers markets, news, and weather, while also providing insights on crops, cattle, equipment technology, and more. You'll find innovative topics like, would you plant soybeans in December? Experiments look at the possibility of boosting yields with early planting. Want to save time? Learn how through autonomous machinery systems. Will there be a surge in feed prices in 2021? And what's today's weather forecast for my farm? The editors of DTN and Progressive Farmer are committed to delivering the essential intelligence farmers need every day to help your farm business be more efficient and profitable. Visit DTNPF.com today. Recently, on Agriculture of America, John Holzman, he's the geopolitical strategist and managing partner at John C. Holzman Enterprises. John, let's talk odds. You mentioned you see Putin making a move. If you had to lay a a figure on it, would you say it's over 50 percent? I do. It's about 60. It's not a sure thing, uh, but it's more likely than many of my competitors are saying because Putin can do it. He wants to settle the matter of Russian nationalism. He wants a borderline of states sympathetic to him from Belarus through the Caucasus, through Ukraine, and into even the Balkans, as well as the Middle East, to protect Russia, Mother Russia, from possible invasion and to keep the West farther away. And that's how Putin looks at the world, again, like a Russian czar. And it sounds like the Ukraine would fight in some capacity to repel an invasion, but it could be quite a battle. It could fight, and its army is much better than it was in 2014. It's much better trained, but the Russian army is superior. For the information important to rural America, join us on Agriculture of America. Oh, nice engine. Supercharged? Yep. High porosity in aggregates? Yep. Porous medium for gas exchange? Uh Uh-huh. Microbial catalytic potential and repository for carbon and nitrogen? Check, check, and check. Oh, man, that is good under the hood. And to think I used to be impressed with hammies. So... When was the last time you looked under the hood at your farm's production engine? 
at your soil? Is it as healthy and productive as it can be? Stop by your local USDA Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out and unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by NRCS and this radio station. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Well, thanks for joining us today, ladies and gentlemen, for AOA. Up next, it's time to talk markets. We've got a couple different stories going on in the futures market today. Beans are down, wheat is up, and corn is well, both sides of unchanged. Garrett Toy of Ag Trader Talk is joining me today. Garrett, let's talk this wheat market first. Big moves to the upside. Is this all on Ukraine tensions? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the overnight markets are kind of subdued. In fact, um, you know, I think the equity markets are trying are, are kind of keeping a lid on things here today as far as the commodities are concerned. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, you know, with an equity market that's down nearly 2% today, uh, and these markets, especially wheat, it's up 14 in Chicago, it's up 20 in Kansas City, are able to, to keep their heads above water. Um, you know, that's a positive sign. And, you know, last night the price action was kind of subdued. We didn't really see this kind of reaction. It made one kind of think that maybe they were just processing headlines and the market might have uh, digested this entire Russia-Ukraine uh, situation. But uh, it, to, to be a market bull, you know, I think you wanted to see a 15 or 20 cent type higher move uh, that, that, that the market is concerned about these sort of things. And, and even though, I mean, you, you, you look at the rhetoric out from both sides, um, you know, the U.S. has asked all their embassy workers to, to evacuate. Um, the, the U.S. seems to have a more uh, accelerated schedule, if you will, um, you know, you, you look at the commentary or the, just the, the, the way that Russia is talking, uh, announcing war exercises or, or, you know, combined war exercises with Belarus, you know, it seems like they're scheduling all these things around the Olympics, which don't start for another 10 days and, and, and really end around until February, you know, February 20th, which is you know, over a month from now. But um, the U.S. Is, is maybe getting a little... Maybe they're learning from the mistakes in Afghanistan and they're trying to get people out beforehand, that sort of thing. But, it, you know, even the commentary from the Secretary of State last week saying that, uh, you know, an attack was imminent, um, you know, it seems like they've got a pushed-up timeline more than what, uh, you know, everyone else has. But the market's nervous. I mean, there's two things that can either happen here. First off, you know, short-term it's bullish because, uh, any Black Sea exporter is, is, is not willing to commit to any sales because they don't know whether they're going to be able to execute or not. So basically, the Black Sea wheat market um, has, has become null and void. Secondly, if this does transition into a, an all-out war, um, and the U.S. has announced that they're going to you know, re reallocate some troops from, from Western Europe to Eastern Europe, and bombs start dropping, um, then there's obvious threats to infrastructure and that sort of thing, and that could become a long-term more bullish deal for the number three, number four wheat exporter uh, in the world. 
Yeah, no, this this tension over there could be quite the fireworks by the time this thing gets done. And uh, Garrett, while we're talking the wheat market, wheat 14, 15 higher, corn trading both sides of unchanged. Currently, to the positive is corn just trying to follow wheat today. Last week, you know, man, this corn market has just been uh, a mystery wrapped in enigma. I mean, early in the week, corn. Uh, really could not get anything going without support of something else. Um, whether it was we followed beans lower early, and then we, we you know, everything caught a bit on Tuesday, but but then you know, beans kind of turned, and then corn couldn't do anything. And then Friday came, and the spreads blew up, and and uh, and then corn finally showed something. We we came in overnight. We we're five lower. Now the spreads are once again leading here. We've got a ton of logistics issues with ice and cold weather on the Illinois River. We do have cash break-evens positive in the St. Louis. Uh, last week's export inspections, um, which we'll get this week's numbers here in a couple minutes, but last week's export inspections uh, showed that the, the Chinese corn loadings were, were marking near highs. So I think the combination of logistics issues, uh, the start of the Chinese export loading program, and then there was also talk late last week, uh, Thursday, Friday, that, that China may have bought um, you know, as much as 3 million metric tons of beans and, and over a million metric tons of corn uh, as part of an appeasement uh, based off the rhetoric of the USDA secretary saying that, uh, that, that they weren't you know, fulfilling their phase one trade agreements. So if you've got new Chinese buying in here, I mean, the spreads are definitely acting very similar to last year uh, where we traded up to three, four cents and eventually the March, May and May, July exploded. Um, but it, it's, if, the, if the spreads are leading this thing, it, it tells me that we probably have limited downside on flat price right now. Looking at the soybean market, we're down today. Rains in the forecast in Brazil. Garrett, how should producers be playing this? Well, as we get the everyday progresses, we're one day close to a, a Brazilian combine starting, whether it's in a drought area or if it's a rain area. I see uh, Mato Grosso is, is now ahead of average, and therefore they're ahead of average on safrina corn planting, which is uh, a, a bearish thing or a good thing um, for the corn market. But, um, yeah, it definitely feels like the bean market's trading weather in here. It was definitely the upside leader. But um, it's also an element of technical trade. We're down testing this, this $14 psychological level. We tripped, some, we tripped some stops, traded down $13.90 early, and then we bounced back here. So um, I think that you know, we're just kind of seeing a, a correction here between uh, the, the oil seeds and the feed grains for the time being. As those combines start to roll down in Brazil, Garrett, what's the downside risk in this uh, old crop soybean market? Well, it's all tied together now because, you know, I, I think that you're going to have uh, ebbs and flows, but, but bigger picture, I mean, the, the overall picture remains. Um, you know, I think if you look at historical years, we're 14. I mean, we could trade down to 13.50 downside, but you know, heck, we did that last week. I mean, uh, we tested that 13.45 support on Monday, we bounced, and then we never looked back. You know, we really, uh, the, the fact of the matter is that we put a dollar on the bean market in the week to see a, you know, a, a 12 or 25 cent correction in this is, is, is not that big of a deal in the grand scheme of things. No, that's true. But those dollars that get added in a week can come off pretty quickly, too, can't they, Gary? <laughs> easy come, easy go. Story of our lives. <laughs> <laughs> that's so true. Garrett Toy from Ag Trader Talk. Garrett, we always appreciate your insight. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. 
And folks, tomorrow on AOA, we'll have more news from the world of agriculture. We'll be talking ethanol and we'll pick up a conversation on other things that impact our day-to-day lives. Folks, thanks for tuning in to AOA. We'll see you tomorrow, same place, same time, right here. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world.